becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you get to make real. Okay, it's showtime. It is showtime. <laughs> shores time. Shores. Cheers. To, to the shores. To the shores. Hmm. All right. It was great to oh. talk to Chat GPT about what the shores of ignorance is. He nailed it. Or oh, she, that's true. Or it, or they, it. or them. Zim. Zer. <laughs> Tree self? Tree self. Data self, maybe. Oh. Yeah, so that chat GPT thing is pretty wild. It is phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure everyone's talking about it, so it's like it's not like a maybe a new thing to people, but Well, I'm sure a lot of people haven't heard of it. Oh, uh, that's probably true. I mean, maybe we could talk a little bit about this on this episode, but I've just run into recently, and I'll get into the story mm. though about how much of a bubble we all live in. Mm. And it's highly likely that at least half the people listening to this have not heard of chat GPT. It's hard to say. It's a bad name. I always feel like I'm getting the last part, right? Like GSR or GPT. Yeah. <laughs> so the quick overview is that, um, there's a company called OpenAI that was founded by Elon actually. Mm. And Sam Altman. What the hell? Yeah. And they, for the last, <clears throat> I believe, six years, have been working on uh, artificial intelligence projects. So they were some of the first to, they had something called Doll E, which was you could, you know, type something into a, a text box and it would draw a picture of it, essentially. Hmm. So you could say, like, paint me a picture of Napoleon eating ramen on the back of a killer whale <laughs> and, and it can do it. Really? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so like well, or is it like stick figures? No, no, really well. And in mm. different styles too, mm. like different in, in, uh, artistic styles. So they're new. They just let this last week released, um, a new version of their AI software and a chat bot. Uh, so like, uh, you can sit and have a conversation with it. Mm -hmm. And, I'm not sure where it falls on this line, but in terms of artificial intelligence, there's something called the Turing test, which you can, you can say that something is artificially intelligent if someone can have a conversation with it and not know whether or not it's a human, hmm. um, basically be successfully convinced that they're speaking to a real human. And this gets pretty close. Hmm. Like it's pretty amazing. The kind of conversation you can have with it. So it's called chat GPT. GPT is the name of the, um, the learning model that they developed. Hmm. Chat is the interface through which you can currently interact with it. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go on and ask it questions. So you asked it, what did you ask? What, asked it, what, is, what, the, what is the shores of ignorance? And it gave like a very insightful, like two paragraph answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, what is the shores of ignorance? And it comes back with the shores of ignorance is a phrase that is often used to refer to a lack of knowledge or understanding about a particular subject or issue. It suggests that there is a vast expanse of unknown territory that one must navigate in order to gain a better understanding of something. In some cases, the shores of ignorance can be seen as a metaphor for the difficult and challenging journey that one must undertake in order to learn and grow. It's like, damn, it's good. It's, you know, it's talking about Google search, but then you're like actually like assimilating 
information into like something that's useful and, and yeah. Well, the thing that I don't fully understand, but it, what I what I from what I understand, the AI um, program that you're talking to mm-hmm. isn't going and searching the internet. Oh, really? No. Huh. So it isn't like a Google search. Okay. I thought it was like assimilating like a bunch of different stuff and then prioritizing. I don't think so. I don't think that's how it works. Hmm. I mean, it's a new paradigm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was listening to, I think all in the, their latest episode, they talk about it and they make some predictions that this could, um, seriously sort of dismantle the core Google product, Hmm. which is search. Mm -hmm. Because right now you go, you have a question, you type it in a search box and you get ranked results, right? Like here's, here's where you might find your answer. Yeah. But this is just giving you the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no combing through results. It's just, you know, I saw one person, uh, give, uh, the chat GPT a, uh, was it the, the political compass test? Mm. And it came down, it was like a left libertarian, hmm. kind of like in the middle of the left libertarian. That's kind of where standpoint. you and I are, isn't uh-huh. it? On the, on the political compass test. Oh, we're very much in the center, but left, yeah. but left libertarian, I think is kind of like our, mm-hmm. we're bent that way, but pretty much right in the middle. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. You can ask it to write you a play <laughs> so. and it will like actually write a script. <laughs> I'm having uh, dinner with Jim's and James next week. And uh-huh. uh, James said, write a poem for Jim and Walt, uh, Walt and Vaclav about how excited I am about dinner next week. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. And it wrote a poem. <laughs> it wrote a poem. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, uh, I, all I know is I, I just started, I, I've played around with it before, but like the just today I just realized like how lost I could probably get into this. Right. But one thing I didn't answer, like I, I was like, "Oh, please explain to me uh, uh, lightning uh, lightning bit Bitcoin network." Oh, and how did it do? It didn't. It, it, I think sometimes like it, it, like I got a few of those where it just didn't answer it. But I think it could have been overloaded. As its far servers as are overloaded. Yeah, yeah. It, this morning it wouldn't load load for me for a long mm-hmm. time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to try it, go to openapi.com and you'll find it. <clears throat> um pretty eye-opening in terms of where things might go technologically i mean did you ever see that movie her with joaquin phoenix and scarlett johansson i don't know maybe it's all a movie he's joaquin phoenix in the movie plays a character that's like very introverted and socially awkward and doesn't really know anybody or talk to anybody and Mm -hmm. whatever the sort of tech company in that world in the movie releases a phone that has siri but siri is like completely artificially intelligent and Mm he develops this relationship with this hmm. AI. Of course, Joaquin Phillips would. Yeah. Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, Joaquin Phillips. Um, <laughs> Phillips. <laughs> Joaquin Phillips Seymour Hoffman. The third. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, does, it, does it kind of give you the feeling that we're really, like the escalation, the, the exponential impact is going to grow is, is kind of like we're on that cusp. Like this is like a five year kind of thing, maybe 10 year, like by 2030, we live in a different world. Uh, I, I, I overstated that, but so this is not my idea. I think it's, I got this from Chamath, mm-hmm. whatever. I can't say his last name. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're, when you're talking about, 
new technology like this, whatever it's going to be, the first, let's say 90% of the developing it is really, it goes pretty quick. Mm-hmm. You know, once you kind of crack the, crack it open, yeah. it's getting that last 10%. Per, 10%. Oh, gotcha. I mean, this happened, you know, this in business too. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> totally. you know, you feel like you're screaming forward, but mm-hmm. the last 10% is just a slog. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it'll be true of this too. I mean, he, he said that chat GPT is, is, you know, it's fun, but it's kind of a toy. It's a shiny toy. You know, it's trivial in that sense. Um, making it actually useful mm. is going to take quite some time. Yeah. Um, so no, I don't think by 2030 that kind of technology will make the world un- like unrecognizably different in any mm. way. But I do think that we're going to see a lot more usefulness come out of technology and we're going to see a shift in the way that we think about interacting with the internet. Mm. So, for example, <clears throat> right now, like use the Google search res- uh, um, example, you know, we've sort of, it, so Siri has gotten pretty good. Mm-hmm. And so we start using Siri more and more, the better it gets. But not a lot of us will like ask Siri a question rather than go to Google search mm-hmm. because the answer she gives us, let's say, 50% of the time is going to be, here's the results I found on the web. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not that great at answering questions. Mm-hmm. And most of us want to, well, give me the results and let me look through them, you know, so I can find the answer that I think is the best. Mm-hmm. But when you're interacting with this chat GPT, there's no feeling of like, I think I need to see what went into that answer. Like it kind of feels legitimate. It feels like I, I could probably trust that. Mm-hmm. So I think that as that, becomes more accessible um, and gets incorporated into something like Siri, I think it will change the way that we think about finding information and we'll do less Google searching and more natural text language uh, interaction with AI to Hmm. get the thing that we want. Does it make you more cautious or distrusting of this because of like the last like five or six years and what we've kind of seen with mainstream media and how how carrying a narrative or, you know, even what's going on with Twitter with uh, sort of these files about, you know, how they were censoring information and, and, and people, do you, does that make you like someone like kind of co-opting an AI in order to propose or pr- promote their point of view or whatever, yeah. their ideology? Yeah. So the answers <laughs> that the AI is going to give you are based wholly on the set of data that the AI was trained on. Mm-hmm. So I, you can imagine different AI bots, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. having s- different personalities, for lack of a better term. Yeah. You know, different sets of answers. Data sets, yeah. And so I think it will, there will, it will change your relationship with tech companies. Mm. Because right now you might buy Apple over Google because you like the physical device more or the, the ecosystem is more integrated, you know, mostly people buy Apple or Google products because, well, everything I have is Google already. And so, you know, it all incorporates. And so, you Mm -hmm. know, once you're in one of those ecosystems, it's really hard to branch out. I think you, you will probably start making decisions about things like that based on what could be described as the personality of the software Hmm. as it, as it progresses. That's interesting. Well, I mean, even like, we're, I mean, we're seeing this with Twitter right now and, and it's, it's interesting to see like whenever different people on different sides of the aisle and how they argue, argue this, but 
you can definitely see sort of the idea of there was a lot of more conservative or right leaning people or <clears throat> I even see politically because like there was a lot of left people that were coming to some of the same conclusions that maybe these more right leaning people were that were being censored or even kicked off the platform. And so, you know, when you start thinking about, you know, uh, again, a Google or an Apple having a different personality, like how much does that drive us into these sort of echo chambers Yeah, that, you know, even like, I mean, Apple people, like how they see PC people, you know, or vice versa, you know, it's like there's, there's already this sort of a, a contention there, you know? Right. No, there definitely does seem like the danger of <laughs> exasperating the bubbles, exasperating the divide. Mm-hmm. If you, well, if you have something that gives you a right answer without having to comb through the results, that's obviously more convenient. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously going to take over more of that information space. Mm. But that's a good question. Will it make the bubbles harder to Mm. get out of? And they're already they're already so hard to get out of that we don't even know that we're in them hmm. most of the time. Yeah. Um, so that's certainly a danger. And I, you know, when you first asked the question, "Does that scare me?" I thought, "I don't think so." But the more we're talking about it, the more I'm thinking, "Yeah." And I'm thinking, "Is there a way? Is there possibly a way that it would make it better?" Hmm. Well, I think it can, it can but I, you're, you're you're basically coming down to the ethos or basic principles of that personality or of that, that data set, you know, okay. If, if I have something that is going to comb through things and tell me, okay, here's this point of view and here's the counterpoint of view. Mm-hmm. And maybe here's my conclusion based on these two different perspectives or three right. different perspectives and can kind of like give you that. But I mean, there's always that sort of me might skew one way or the other, but, yeah. um, so apparently the chat GPT is programmed not to curse hmm. or describe violence. I mean, it's in its like alpha phase right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that they made that decision because they knew a bunch of people would be messing with it and it's a new concept and you know, that just wasn't necessary for the moment. But yeah. it's an interesting point of view that <laughs> is that censorship of the AI mm-hmm. and does that change the way that you relate with it? If you know, there's th- certain things that you know that it won't do and are you aware of all the things that it won't do? Mm-hmm. You know, is that ex- explicated to you? Yeah. That seems to be important. Especially, I mean, again, it's going to be interesting to see more and more as these sort of files come out of, uh, out of Twitter about what kind of happened during the sort of data censorship uh, uh, you know, whether it be in COVID or, or all the different things that kind of happened, but, um, you know, who's, who's determining what we hear and what we don't hear. Right. And I think that's the, you know, that's something that's very difficult. Like, no, like again, violence, you know, I, I, some, I can somewhat agree with that idea, you know, maybe even in the, in the starting phase and that kind of stuff of just mm-hmm. testing this out. Um, but at the same time, like if you have something that is, shaping its answer without the understanding of violence or describing violence, then, you know, how do you describe the Holocaust or something like that? I mean, maybe that's not the, the violence it's talking that we're, that they were talking about, but. Hmm. 
I mean, I'm trying to think of like situations that you would actually need uh, uh, in the situation of AI to understand violence and be able to describe it right. in a way that's actually helpful, not just like gratuitously. Right. Um, which, 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 which is more their intent is like. Well, they, and I'm just thinking, like, how purpose. do you how do you come to an understanding of another person as you get to know them? Mm-hmm. You know, I might say of you, like, you don't cuss that much. You know, and you're not. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> I would say you cuss a normal amount. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, but you're not gratuitous. But you also live in a bubble of, of cussers, though. So Of cussers? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just less in your bubble. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, but you know, but you yeah, get a I feel. Get and so, like, if I ask you a question and you describe it a certain way, it's like, I understand who you are. Mm-hmm. And I understand why you might, you know, not go into gory detail mm-hmm. about something violent, let's say. Yeah. You know, how are you going to come to an understanding of an of an AI to understand, Oh, well, I know that this AI doesn't, you know, overly use cuss words or mm-hmm. overly describe, uh, traumatic, violent events. Yeah. Uh, maybe you will, you know, maybe, maybe it won't be that you have to like, go look at the settings to see, maybe you'll just develop a sense of it mm-hmm. like you do with people. That's interesting. It's almost like, it's almost like kids in a sense. Like you don't like how I would describe a horrific situation to you versus my kids. Right. You know, there would be a way that I would kind of help them understand the gist of it without maybe going into detail. Hmm. But then there's also that idea. And I think Peterson kind of uh, has kind of like really done a good job of talking about this. But if you don't understand that you're the mass murderer, you know, you're the Nazi that was, that was the guard then you really don't know a lot about yourself. And so mm-hmm. I think there's something, there's something with that too, but you can't handle that as a six year old, you know, like, right. it's, but it's something as you're, as you're growing up and you hit 16, 18, 20, 24, it's like, you're going to start seeing things that are in you. You did not know was there mm-hmm. and you have to start, is that who I am? Or is that something in me? You know, it's like, you know, the first time you have suicidal thoughts or something like that, it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, what is that? You know, it's like, where it's like, maybe it's like, no, it's like, that's there. Hmm. It's like in all of us, but what you do with it is a whole nother, a whole nother thing. Like we are all capable of horrific, you know, things. And part of it too, is like, you know, some people will take a a suicidal thought or something like that and just smush it down. Like, Oh my gosh, no, I don't want to think about that. You know, Hmm. it's like, well, well, why am I thinking about that? Like, what's, what is that? You know, then kind of, you, you can kind of explore that and not judge it and not judge you that that's something that you're going to do, you know? Yeah. Uh, again, I, I might be, I'm, I'm speaking a little bit out of my league on the suicidal thing. So don't, <laughs> don't go too far, but I'm just trying to think of things that are, are very surprising that will jump into your head that mm-hmm. you're like, where'd that come from? You know, what is that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So that's interesting because <laughs> thoughts do just kind of come into your head. I mean, whether mm-hmm. they're <clears throat> negative thoughts that scare you yeah. or inspirational mm-hmm. thoughts that motivate you, mm-hmm. no one can really say where they come from. Yeah. They arrive, you know, like a light that came on. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why we describe thoughts as light bulbs. Mm-hmm. They just come on, you know, where mm-hmm. were they before? Who knows? Yeah. And no one really gets the sense that, well, I wanted to have a good thought. And so I invented this thought and like, I am, I own this thought, Mm -hmm. you know, 
we all have this sense that it's the thought arrives. Mm. It didn't originate in our head. It, it arrived there. So what are we going to do with, how are we going to understand AI? Because the preconception is that, well, it must have been trained to have that response. Mm -hmm. Or it must be deriving that response from the set of data that it has access to. And yeah, that it must be that way. Um, but we are seeing this with, I mean, everything from chess to go and just how high performing computers are like, there's not, there's not a, a person alive that can challenge a computer in go or chess. Like that's, that's kind of done. It's over. Yeah. But that had, that has everything to do with the computer's ability to do math. Mm hmm and calculate probabilities. Um, whereas idea generation has nothing to do with that. It has to do something more like something to do with the miracle of consciousness. Hmm. <clears throat> I, 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 I don't think I know enough. Of, I don't know as, as much about AI as I, as I should to be able to, go yeah. into that. But, yeah. you know, if you're talking about data sets and comparing data sets, it seems like there's, there's a similar, obviously it gets more complex, you know, as, as when you're talking about language specifically, because you know, it, it, context matters a lot more than you don't have. It's not, it's not existing in squares and lines, you know, as far as like, uh, a, a defined hmm. area. Mm -hmm. So you're, 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 it's a little bit more abstract, but there's a certain, there's, there are certain rules that kind of define or help, uh, I guess would steer the AI into developing a conversation or a paper or something like that, that, mm -hmm. Damn it. Now I've got a whole other thing I need to research. <laughs> just like, I'm like, I don't know enough. Now I need to go. Yeah, we never will. Uh, -uh. that's why we named this show. This <laughs> shores. Oh, damn it. That's right. Yeah. Chat GPT knows that. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just ask it. Yeah. Well, this kind of ties into something you were talking about earlier. If you, yeah. if you want to go into that. Yeah. What's the tie you see? Well, just the idea of like bubbles and, mm -hmm. and depending on like what your operating system is, what your data set, yeah. uh, what, who you search or surround yourself, uh, with, um, you know, uh, idea capture, uh, social, social interactions and being able to, uh, in order to continue to participate in certain groups or social situations you kind of have to adhere to a certain program yeah and some of that's really good and some of that's not well that's what you might call the social contract yes yeah, so social contract yeah. there you go. <laughs> it's unavoidable i mean yeah. it's it's that that is the thing from which ethics arise mm. is that social contract it's a game mm -hmm. there are rules to the game if you want to play you have to obey the rules mm. if you don't obey the rules then it's not a game so you're not playing anymore you're something more like just simply annoying. <laughs> well, so all of this, I, I have this conversation, um, in which I mentioned to somebody something about the Twitter files that have come out. And mm -hmm. for anyone who doesn't know what that means or isn't, hasn't heard about that. So Elon Musk, um, purchased Twitter 
and has done a lot of really crazy things, uh, such as firing like 75% of the company and then somehow almost immediately getting rid of child sexual exploitation. I don't fully understand that story, but, mm-hmm. um, mostly cause I don't really want to look into it. <laughs> I want to stay away from it. But yeah. like the fact that that was a problem, I didn't know it was a problem, but apparently it was a pretty big problem mm-hmm. and then no one had dealt with it and he took care of it in like a week. And then he decided to release a bunch of internal documents related to the hunt, the censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story mm-hmm. in 2020. Um, so that people can know what happened with that because it was, it was a crazy thing. The New York Post wrote this story and immediately Twitter suspended the New York Post's account and then enacted something within the system that would prevent anybody from tweeting a link to the, to the article or DMing or DMing it, it to mm-hmm. anyone. And, and Twitter wasn't the only one. Facebook did this mm-hmm. too. And I think to a lesser extent, but so anyways, I, I mentioned something about the Twitter files and somebody's they said, well, what, what is that? And I said sort of what I just said to you. And they said, what is Hunter Biden's laptop? And I, my jaw hit the ground. <laughs> it was like, you don't, that phrase doesn't mean anything to you. And they said, no. And I just, I, I'm still floored by that. <laughs> they had not heard about Hunter Biden's laptop. And Man, if anyone's listening to this and you don't know what Hunter Biden's laptop is, please message me because mm. I would just love to know that because what blew my mind is that to me, that seems like one of the biggest stories of the last couple of years. And the fact that there are people who don't know about it, I mean, it likely determined what happened with that likely determined the outcome of the 2020 election mm. and the downstream consequences of that are fairly massive. I mean, for us in this country, but it's also like geopolitical and what's going on with the the war with Russia and, um, the world economy, the, uh, global financial system, like all of those things would be much different. Um, had Trump won, let's say, and I'm not saying better, Mm -hmm. I'm just saying different. So the consequences of that election were pretty huge and, and how we dealt with COVID and vaccines and all that. Okay. I think that that the suppression of that story had a large effect on the outcome of that election. And what blew my mind is, is that you could not have heard about it. And then I thought, wow, the suppression actually worked. The censorship actually worked. Hmm. I think I often forget that I might be, and I think I would put both of us in this category, a bit hyper aware of things that are going on. Cause I tend to look a lot, you know, to, to a fault, like, <laughs> a fault. you know, I'm <laughs> insatiable. Yeah. And it's annoying. Um, and I, I also, when I first realized that there was a bubble, which was, I think around 2020 and around the George Floyd thing, mm-hmm. I really started second guessing where I was getting information from. And so now I think I've, I fairly consistently try to go look at all the different narratives that are going on. I'm not successful at it, but it's a lot of work. And I think most people just listen to what they listen to. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, so this blew my mind and I, I, I was kind of sad. So I was kind of like thinking, 
with this censorship thing and you hear people say, Oh, well, like there is no cancel culture. You know, people are just complaining. Yeah. And to realize that actually, no, it really is there and it actually works. Mm. That made me scared. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. So then I ran through a bunch of other things, everything from, um, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the name of that. The, um, Russia gate and, uh, uh, steel dossier, the steel dossier, everything from that to the story of Brianna Taylor mm. to, um, I can't remember what else I, I, I kind of ran through and they hadn't heard all the basics, any too. of the yeah. things <laughs> that I, <clears throat> like any of the way that those stories ended up turning out. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is an example of something that's going on a lot right now. Well, I think it's hard because when we're talking about this, it turns political right real quick. It's sort of like, Oh, you're right wing or left wing or this kind of thing. It's like, but the, the, what we're getting at is like, no, when you, when you censor information and you don't allow people to look at it and to kind of choose for themselves, not just choose for themselves, but to, to kind of like get different perspectives. I mean, w- w- all the things that you mentioned, plus the innumerable things of COVID that whenever you look another year or two later, they're saying, yes, that was right. The things that were conspiracy theories were wrong. Yeah. Or were wrong, you know? So, but so often mm-hmm. it's the opposite. Oh no. The, actually I was saying like, I guess the opposite of that. A lot oh, okay. of the things that were thought of as conspiracy theories were actually proven to, to be, be true. correct or at least but they don't, viable. Get, but they don't get reincorporated into the narrative. Mm-hmm. The but, people who originally say, oh, the narrative is right and anything counter-narrative is conspiracy theory, their narrative and the things they're hearing don't don't get updated. Mm-hmm. You know, once the once it turns out that it was the opposite. Yeah. And and they don't get updated because and so here's this is gonna be maybe a, di- a tricky transition for me to make, but this has something to do with everybody's individual expression and everybody's individual value, I think, which should be celebrated in, in the cornerstone, at least in principle of our country is mm-hmm. that fact. Um, but I think that, um, so I think a lot of people and the conversation, it came up in the conversation I was having with, um, with this person about that didn't know about the Hunter Biden laptop story. And uh, it came up that, you know, like, well, we hear a lot of things and, you know, the world moves pretty quick. And so we just don't go look them up. I guess I could look for myself, but I, you know, I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm busy or, you know, it's a lot of work and I don't know where to look. I don't know where to begin, you know, and it's sort of easier to take things for granted. I mean, they are being told to me by people I trust after all. And I think that's a perfectly valid mm. position. I think that should be a position that people can take. I think the yeah. danger of the position of that position right now currently is that that doesn't completely describe it. Mm. Because I think that the way that our culture has gotten is that it isn't just that you're not looking. It's that you're incentivized not to look. Mm. 
Because if you go look and you find something that doesn't fit the narrative, doesn't fit the story, and you speak up about that, you will be immediately ejected from the social contract. Mm. Because something in the social contract right now says you must not disagree. And that is a removal of that individual value and that individual expression. Mm. That, that is a requirement that you are a slave to what you are told. And, you know, you saw it, you saw it made explicit during COVID. So like, do you remember, you know, maybe midway through last year, maybe toward the end of last year, as it pertained to vaccines, people started mocking people for doing their own research. Yeah. Well, and what there, the hell is that? That's and so there crazy. was even, I think a New York times cartoon that was the pic, a picture of a gravestone mm-hmm. and on the gravestone, it said, I did my own research. Yeah. So <clears throat> the idea was made so explicit. It's not, and, and it was not only, you know, you're going to be ousted from the social good graces, Mm -hmm. you're actually going to die if you go look into things for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think people in their day-to-day lives think about it this way, but there is an incentive, a social incentive to not ask questions, a social incentive to not go look into things. And it reminds me very much of um, Vaclav Havel's Green Grocer essay Mm -hmm. in his uh, book, Power of the Powerless. Um. I wish I could just recite it. <laughs> I thought you were about to. I was yeah, like, yeah, I was like right. waiting. <laughs> um, there is a slavery in that and a, and a totalitarianism mm-hmm. of thought in that. And I think, so I was kind of mulling over that yesterday and I woke up this morning thinking that maybe one of the even scarier aspects of that situation is that, in that environment where what one is supposed to think about things Mm -hmm. is perceived as obvious. So a couple of examples of that over the last couple of years, America is clearly racist. It's obvious. The police are anti-black. It's obvious. Mm. COVID is an extraordinarily dangerous virus. Obviously. The vaccines are safe and effective. Obviously, Joe Biden is finally the adults are back in the White House. Obviously, and in that environment where it isn't just here's a thought or an idea that might be true or is very likely to be true or somewhat true. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's no, it's true. And it's so true that it's as obvious as gravity. And you must be deranged and mentally ill or actively evil Mm -hmm. for going against it. I mean, isn't that what evil is, is like going against the good, going against reality and waging war on it. Mm -hmm. So on the other side of evil is what's obviously good. Um, But in that environment where everything is not just said to be true, but said to obviously be true, I think the result is that the people in that system 
it's very difficult for them to even know what they think about things. Like if you ask somebody, you know, walking down the street, what they think about George Floyd, the consequence of them saying anything that doesn't match the narrative doesn't match what's acceptable within the narrative. And that's kind of an older example. Mm -hmm. I think this would be a maybe slightly different now, but the consequence would be so great that they're even going to say what they know is accepted to be true, or they're going to say nothing. Mm. And that is to say they're incentivized to not even interact with what they think about things and what they think about the world. And I think it makes, it turns people, it diminishes their self. Their self is diminished because they can't express themselves. Mm. And so I think the self becomes smaller and that's really um, tragic. I definitely see in, in all these things is we kind of make a caricature out of stuff that, you know, whether it be the science. And like the, the, there was this caricature of, a, of the science that just didn't make sense to me at all. Like, you know, part of science is questioning things and testing things. And it's all of science. It's, yeah, it's kind of a part of it. Uh, you know, or even like whenever I'm when I'm discussing things with with different people, whether they're you know Democrats or Republicans, it's like you know if they can if they can't say one good thing about the person that they're discussing, like okay, well, what is something that you do agree with this person on Trump, Biden, or whatever it might be? It's really hard to listen to that person because I think then they're dealing with a caricature of that person. They're not actually dealing with that person, like. Again, you could say, like, I have no idea if Trump loves his kids or not. You know, it's like, but, like, you could say, like, well, he's a father. Like, I'm sure he loves his kids, you know, it's like, or something like that. It's like, hmm. that's something you can identify with him as. It's like, outside of being a political figure, you know, maybe, again, I'm totally, I have no idea if he actually has any of these things, but... Hmm. But that would be something that, you know, Biden, you know, it's like, I can totally see that he probably really loves his kids and... um uh, and his wife or, you know, whatnot. I, I don't know, but it's, it, it would make sense to me. Like he's a human being. He's not just this, he's not just the president of the United States. He's yeah. not just the commander in chief. He's also a husband. He's a father. He's a, you know, whatever else he might be. Yeah. So I think sometimes we, we do get into caricatures of things that, that we kind of lose perspective and kind of idea of like you and I talking, we talk a lot about it as like reality snapping back. It's like, if you don't allow that complexity of reality to enter your worldview, then you're going to get continually distancing what reality actually is. Cause reality is very complex. Like I am a, I am a very multi, multi, I'm going to say dimensional person, but that's not what I meant to say. A very complex person. And, you know, you might meet me as Michael, the coffee shop owner, and that is a part of me, but it's, I'm also Michael, the father. I'm also Michael, the podcast guy. And, you know, it's like, there's a yeah. lot of different parts of me. So I'm struggling a bit to tie all we've made sort of mm. a bunch of different points here. I'm struggling <laughs> to find the, the through line. Where do you find that from the, <clears throat> um, well, the slavery of conformity the loss of knowing yourself okay. because you can't say you can't explore what you really think because the cost of it might be ostracization or silence. Mm -hmm. 
And then you made the point about caricatures. And I think that's where I got lost. Yeah. Well, I think that's the, I think the main part of it is, is that there's like, everything is very complex. It's like when your world starts to be more defined into very simple caricatures, like that we tend to do for, you know, like when we're in a group of people, like there's a certain thing that we kind of all accept as sort of like, this is why we're here. We don't, we're not going to breach these certain subjects at this time or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, but again, that's, that's very unhealthy because if you stay in those, it's like staying in a cult or, or, uh, a religion of some sort that you're not allowed to think outside the box or challenge those ideas. So I think that's, that's the kind of, I think that's kind of where it kind of comes back into is like, like again, being able to hold the complexity of, um, the worldviews as far as like, you know, like you and I, we we talk a whole lot. I think there's something that you and I recognize is like, we don't have the whole picture. Right. And, and as much as I'd like to say this, I want, I, I enjoy, and I feel like we do this for each other in a lot of ways, but at the same time, we also need other people to short challenge. I always think it was our goon, you know, like hmm. <laughs> he's been on our podcast a couple of times. Like, like he really challenges a lot of the things that maybe you and I kind of skip through a little bit, you know? Mm, yeah. Take uh, for granted. Take for granted. Yeah. And uh, it's like conversations with him are always kind of fun because, uh, cause sometimes I feel like, Oh, it's derailed and we could have gone further this way. But at the same time, it's like, I start to realize like how much I kind of take for granted and, and I don't really challenge and by him challenging that it help it's helpful to kind of like, right. Okay. Let, let's work on that a little bit. Let's see where that's at. Hmm. Does that kind of does that kind of bring it back a little bit? Yeah, a bit. <laughs> <laughs> a bit, but I'm still trying to find something to latch onto there. Mm. I mean, your point, I think, is I, I take that point well. Hopefully, <laughs> it's, it's well taken, yeah. um, because maybe it's something about where I am in life right now, but I just feel, I find myself coming to this point on almost every issue Mm. and it's the yin and the yang. It's the balance that's necessary. And it's the pathology that's on both sides. Mm. You need a social contract. You need conformity. Mm. You need to have expectations and you need people to abide by those expectations, Mm. you know, because if they don't, stuff gets terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like I think it was Jordan Peterson was kind of making that point once. And he said like, for example, you're all in this auditorium and you're all facing forward. If one of you was turned around backwards, facing the, the, the back of the hall, everyone around that person would be like, what the hell? You know, you'd all be scared out of your skin at this wild behavior, you know? And so I think we sort of take a, a lot of the social contract expectations for granted. Hmm. Um, but whatever those, whatever that contract is and whatever those expectations are need to be constantly renewed. Mm. And that is the point of, well, that's the point of the progressive left. It needs to be revitalized Mm. because as time goes on, it, it degrades and its functionality is less useful for the emerging world. Um, you know, and the pathology on the other side is that you the, the you can be so progressive that you tear everything down before you know how to make anything new, 
and then the boat that we're all on sinks. Mm. So, um, what is that? Uh, what is that paradox about the the ship that sails oh, for yeah. seventeen years, uh-huh. and every board is replaced one at a time, oh. and once every board in the ship is replaced, is, is it, it the, the same, same ship? ship? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a great question because it's the same with people. Mm-hmm. It's like, am I the same person that I was when I was twelve? In some sense, no. Mm-hmm. In some sense, definitely yes. And that is true because I have grown, which is to say that I've expanded. I've there's parts of me that have been honed. There's parts of me that have died. There's mm. parts of me that have been revitalized. And our our society needs that too. Mm. I think what I find particularly troubling about the this idea of well, what we know to be true is is obviously true and you must not challenge that. Otherwise you are immoral Hmm. is a weird reversal because generally you would expect the politically right types to make such statements Hmm. and the politically left types to be like more like the left was, let's say in like the seventies or the sixties, you know, sort of free love, like screw your rules, you know, there's a new set of rules and and I'm using the left because I think the left is indicative of culture broadly in the United States. And I think that's true because almost all of our institutions are left leaning. So when you look at, which you could probably say like the tastemakers was the difference like in the eighties, it would be probably like the right was more controlled was setting of, the, of culture, the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe so. Hmm. Sorry. I think I, I lost my train. Of thought. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. I apologize. No, no, that's okay. Um, well, you were, you were talking about how like just sort of like culture is shaped and like right now you kind of believe that the left is kind of, it has a, has a lot more effect on how we are shaping our, our view of society and they have a lot more influence on us, uh, us in general, like whether it be through mainstream media, which is pretty much all left except for Fox <laughs> or maybe a and or whatever that one's called. It's. So it's like there's in the, you know, Hollywood is, is pretty much all left leaning. Oh, I'd say through and through. Yeah. Yeah. There's very few in tech uh, is all left talk. Tech is very left. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like when you have one of this one domineering, uh, uh, ideology, then it, it comes almost like a very totalitarian or authoritarian Mm -hmm. as they start to sort of solidify their control yeah. <laughs> of things. And, and again, you've seen this, I, th- I think again, if you look through history, you're, you're going to see this sort of play out, you know, whether you call it left and right as it variates between the two. Mm-hmm. But I would say definitely today we're in that sort of left leaning, almost authoritarianism as yeah. far as like what culture is and what's acceptable. Right. So, I guess the points I really want to drive home is we are living in bubbles. You don't know what you don't know Mm -hmm. and what you don't know might be so obvious to the person you're talking to that they won't even think to bring it up. Mm. 
And so maybe the, the thing that I want to say to myself and to anyone listening, because the question might be, well, what do you do about any of this? And the two points that I've taken away from within myself as I've thought through this, one is don't assume that anyone knows anything. Like I think there's a natural in people, there's a natural um, aversion to repeating oneself. So much so that it's like a, a common thing to hear people say, well, stop me if I've already said this, you know, <laughs> totally. we don't want to be annoying or preachy or whatever, yeah. but I kind of think you have to be <clears throat> like, whatever it is that you are taking for granted might not be on the other person's radar at all. Totally. And so don't be afraid to repeat yourself. Mm-hmm. Talk about things, talk about things that you've taken for granted. Talk about things that you assume everyone knows because they don't. And then this is sort of the same point, but talk about things, say what you think, actually work to figure out what you think and talk to people about it because you are, you, you have things to say, you have thoughts and they're yours and they're not, it isn't about right or wrong or true or false because in a sense, societally, there almost aren't such things. I mean, there are, but they're being constantly negotiated because society needs constant revitalization and we need people's voices in order to do that. Mm. Um, And I say that as encouragement. And I also say that as a way to voice my own self conviction, because those two things I struggle with, like I have to be conscious of being willing to repeat myself on this podcast Hmm. because I don't, I think that if we don't repeat ourselves, then these conversations become somewhat unlistenable unless you start from the beginning, which Hmm. good Lord, I hope no one ever does. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) So like, I'll just take the second to say, here's what I'm talking about here. Mm -hmm. And I've observed in myself that I, when I listen to other podcasts and people do that, I don't, even if I already know what they're talking about, Mm -hmm. It doesn't annoy me. Well, unless you're like Peterson talking about the mice, I'm kind of done with the mice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, but you're, you and I have listened to probably 90% of everything he's ever done. And I just think better to err on that side Mm -hmm. than to have people not know what you're talking about. Well, also there's a part of like in that, repeating the stories is there's a honing in it too. Like, uh, like a good comedian, you hear Chappelle and a lot of these guys, uh, Rogan talk about it is they go out and they tell the same jokes over and over again and try them out. And each time they kind of do something a little bit different and seeing how the audience reacts. And as the audience reacts to you, it's like, it's sort of enlightening. So it's like when you tell your story and the person's like, Oh, oh okay. I've heard this before or whatever. It's like, that's a really great point it's almost like in music Hmm. like you don't ever listen to a song and you're like boring i'm (laughs) sick of c chords (laughs) Uh i'm sick of the note f sharp Mm -hmm. (laughs) this song has an f sharp in it it's it's repetitive you know (laughs) no it's like you're using the same 12 notes in music Mm -hmm. and you can make an infinite number of creatively new songs so it's about the story it's about the story that you're telling and very likely when you're telling a story or trying to work something out and, and a supplementary story comes to mind, even mm-hmm. if you told it before, 
you will be telling it now for a different reason as a part of a different story. And it will change the story you're telling and, and add new meaning to it. So it is worth repeating. Or even like what comes out of it. I, I, when you mentioned music, it reminds me of, uh, there's a guy that I knew in high school and even throughout college, I see him when he plays, when he comes through town and something like that. And there's this one song that I've heard probably 30 times, you know, it's like, and this one day it's usually like, I'll give you my love. And it's just like, it, it, it goes on this one day he goes, and I give you my love. Like he like, like this, like, the impact of it was mm. so huge. I was like, whoa, what just happened there? Yeah. It was like, it, there's something in the way that it hit him at that moment, at that time, that he told that story completely different. Mm. And it had like, it had a huge impact. I mean, it, it just sticks out in my mind, even to say like 20 years later, you know? So well, I think even like in the, our discuss, I mean, you and I say, talk about the same things over and over again yeah. in different ways and then in, in new ways. But there's something about that honing and sort of, figuring out, is that what I meant to say? Or how do I say that? I mean, you guys get to listen to us firsthand and just try to figure out what we're thinking and, Mm -hmm. and how, how we're kind of working through these things. So, well, maybe that's, that's a really good analogy because I think most anyone has the experience with whoever their favorite musician is. Mm -hmm. It's like, how many times are you willing to go see them play? Mm. There's really not a limit. Yeah, I think I've seen you play like I don't have no I don't even know how many times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're saying I'm my you're my I'm you're I'm what? I'm your favorite musician. Um, I'm just saying you are one of my favorite musicians. But <laughs> thank you. I've seen you a lot of times. Yeah. But each one is different, which is fascinating. I'm blushing. To see. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think the the point I'm trying to make is that you don't a good musician, you don't get tired of them playing hmm. the same song because they're not playing the same oh, song. Oh, good point, yeah. Like they're playing a new song each time Mm -hmm. and you hear it because they say a line slightly different, Mm -hmm. you know, or one time they sing it and it seems sad. And then another time they sing it and it seems triumphant. Mm -hmm. You know, what is it? It's like you're working with the ineffable when you're working with music. And at least if you're working, if it's coming through an honest musician, Mm -hmm. what they're going after transcends the music and the music is your portal into it. I think it's similar with saying what you think about things. Mm. If in that, and maybe that is the antidote to being repetitive in your conversations. If you are being honest, Mm -hmm. if you are honestly pursuing an idea, pursuing a truth that is worth pursuing, then repetition is no, has no meaning because there isn't repetition there may be parts that you've heard before mm-hmm. pieces, you know, um, but they all seem new in light of what is transcendent, hmm. which is, which is the honest pursuit of what is good. And that I think actually ties into the second point that I was making or the second encouragement to myself and to everyone else is to say what you think honestly, mm. to honestly look at what you think about things. Yeah. And say them. And I think if you do, then it takes a lot of courage Mm -hmm. because first of all, what we think isn't obvious to us. It's hard to know what you think about things Mm. because as I tried to illustrate earlier, there's tons of incentives to not know what you think, you know, and maybe to your point about like, 
the suicidal ideation that might mm. come up in you and you're like, Oh hell no. And you press that down mm-hmm. and you might convince yourself that you don't think that at all. Yeah. That's not me. What is that? Right. You know, and you all know someone who's had some trauma in their past that they didn't know they had until suddenly mm-hmm. they did. Mm. You hide parts of yourself from yourself. And so to know yourself takes, is a great excavation. Mm. And if you can do that, and do it honestly and then say what it is that you think, you know, not like spill it out like Donald Trump or Alex Jones or whatever. You know, it's like, (laughs) no, like use some wisdom, use some tact, be aware of the social contract, but don't just say what everyone else says. You have something you need to say, Mm. say it. Um, And if you do that, then I think that's the antidote to the repetition problem. Mm. the repetition problem (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, it's so good to be able to just to be able to work through things and I mean it's it's, I I love the comic example I think Rogan really has helped me with that idea it's like that honing and and you're, you're you're saying things out loud and it's you're able to see people's reactions and then and even like how I could have maybe explained that or said that differently to that person, mm-hmm. you know, when I'm in a, in a certain situation where maybe people aren't as like kind of open-minded and, you know, it's like, it's like there's a little bit more tact involved, you know, it's like, and to the social situation, you know, and so it's like you use a little bit more tact in that, in that part, you know, it's like where when you and I are together, it's like, there's no tact. It's just like, I think this blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's dumb. Well, I don't know. Let me think, you know, it's a, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a lot more. <clears throat> well, maybe that's the wonderful benefit of developing mm-hmm. close, intimate relationships mm. is you don't have to have as much tact. You don't have to have as much, you don't have to be as careful. You can be True. a little bit reckless mm-hmm. and you can learn a lot about yourself by being that way. Oh, isn't it great? The people that are, do that on a public stage, you know, it's like, like I think of like a Chappelle, you know, it's like comics in general, they just, they just break all stereotypes mm. and that's kind of what makes them funny. They push you to the edge. Yeah. They take you out of your, they your comfort point, zone. They, they point to the absurdity inside your own way of thinking of mm. things. I mean, it's really, I think one of the highest forms of art. It does seem that way. Well, maybe in a, in a certain way. I mean, there's also, you know, music has a, a well, I mean, again, you go, you come back to something I think we've talked about before, but the whole idea of the jester too, like the jester can tell the king what's, what's wrong in a way that, um, you know, he's not going to get killed where if anybody else told the king that then mm. they would get killed. Well, the jester is allowed to tell the truth mm-hmm. <laughs> and it isn't that we make up a role and we say, this is the role that we're going to allow to tell the truth. It's mm. called the jester mm-hmm. and whoever occupies that role gets to tell the truth. It's mm. not that the jester is the one that we allow to tell us the truth. Mm. The jester comes along and tells the truth and we allow it. We're upset about it. We laugh about it. Mm-hmm. We feel changed by it. Uncomfortable. Yeah. Frustrated, but, angry, but we allow it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think too, is like we, whether we acknowledge or not, we've seen throughout the ages that it is a very important role and that it's necessary for, to, to allow that role to exist. Cause once you take that role of the jester out, 
I think that's where you have like a Nazi Germany. You know, it's like you you go very extreme, uh, a Maoist China, or you know, it's like you're not allowed to make fun of or discredit the those who are in power. Where it's like you know, it used to be where on SNL you made they made fun of the president. You know, it's like of, of course it was like Donald Trump has a huge. <laughs> treasure box of things to make fun of yeah but so does biden and you don't see that as much on that so you do see that like i feel like snl doesn't has kind of lost its its um mandate you know in a sense there and, and again i think they do come through in other areas but uh there is something that the the comics are the ones that kind of keep us kind of tethered <laughs> a little bit <laughs> And then maybe the musicians kind of inspire us and take us into what is possible, you know, the deeper things of, of life in a sense, you yeah. know, the poets. The hmm. Maybe that's another great encouragement hmm. is seek out the things <clears throat> that draw you into the depths. Hmm. It causes you to ask questions like, why was that so moving? You know, it could be a movie that you see or a poem that you read or, <clears throat> I mean, I think these days more and more on Instagram, I actually see particularly moving content. Hmm. And when you see that, when you interact with that, something that touches you deeply. Oh, that math thing that you sent me, mm. or that we've kind of sent back and forth a few yeah. times. Oh, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. But I think when you see something that touches you like that, you can learn a lot about yourself I think if you ask yourself, why, why am I being so moved by that mm. and scratch at that, actually unpack it, ideally with someone else, because you're going to make a lot more progress when you're sharing someone else's mind mm. in it. So if you can share an experience with somebody that's moving and then you can talk about why that is, you're going to learn a lot about yourself and the world and see things in a revitalized way. And that's, that's the juice. Baby. <laughs> that's the juice. I love it. <laughs> well, I think that's good stuff, man. Yeah. Well, I guess one other part of that is like, is being able to also engage with other people that disagree with you. You know, mm -hmm. um, if you're a Biden supporter, interact with a Trump supporter or a DeSantis supporter or, you know, Kamala or, you know, whoever you're, are there any Kamala supporters? I don't know, <laughs> but we might be in a bubble. You know what I mean? Seriously, like that's, that's how it works. You know I mean? Yeah. Uh, I can make, I'd make that argument, but <laughs> so here's a good bubble analogy. Uh, the Truman show. Yeah. He literally lives in a bubble. Mm -hmm. If you're living in a bubble, wouldn't you want to know? Mm. Wouldn't you want to know what's outside of that? Mm. Even if it's terrifying. Even if it's horrifying, mm. even if it's offensive, like I would encourage all of us to find the edges of our bubbles mm. because your life will be much more enriching if you can go to the out there rather than just stay inside. Yeah. Or just go to the shores, man. <laughs> <laughs> just go to the shores, man. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, Cheers to you. Cheers. Cheers to everyone out there listening Love tonight. Love you. Yeah. Thanks for being with us. Ciao. Ciao. <laughs>